Just two dudes taking that interim supervisor title a little too seriously. It's Viger, please. I hate the voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm the local half-Klingon cougar co-host, Peter. And Peter, what episode did we watch this week? Season 7, Episode 8, Nightingale. I want to start out by saying a couple things. They will be hurtful, but deserved. First... I objectively know that this is not the worst episode of Star Trek Voyager that we have watched. You and I, Peter, we've been through things, okay? From elogium to Twisted to 1159 to the majority of season six. Season sucks. We have seen some real dog shit. And there are parts of this episode that are clearly more enjoyable than many of the things that I have just mentioned. But there is like 15 minutes of this episode that is the absolute worst shit in the entire series. And I cannot get over not only how bad that is, but also looking at the Trail of Tears that is LeVar Burton's (laughs) directography on Voyager, it is nothing but absolute garbo and then timeless, like sitting in the middle of it, like the true diamond in the rough, except the rough is literal poop. Did timeless look really stupid on paper? And everybody's like, oh, this is going to be a stinker. This is going to fucking suck. Give this to LeVar. And then like, it was a sleeper hit and everybody's like, damn it. They wasted it. (laughs) I mean, it has some of the same hallmarks, right? Harry Kim at a leading role, <laughs> trying to you know, lead and solve an unsolvable problem. This goddamn thing, man. Jumping into the perpetual uh, failure of memory alpha here. Let's see. What what gems can we pull out of this before we really start trying to um The only, the only thing this. I'm seeing in this memory alpha that is of note to me is... It's the last time we see Voyager landed on a planet. That's interesting. Everything else is trash. Here, Here's a real stellar piece. Kim tells Paris, you're a married man now. Referring to Paris's marriage to Torres in Drive. We need a memory alpha entry for that. Okay. Memory alpha entry for something we saw three episodes ago. I've got a whole page of notes here, which is impressive because I haven't been able to pull a lot out lately. And I realize that when we get to these turds, they're the fun podcast. So, you know, it's it's this Puritan work ethic of podcasting. We sat through a real pile of shit, and now we get to reap the rewards of a fun episode to talk about, right? Yeah, strap yourself in, people. This is going to be one of those grandstanding episodes where Peter and I absolutely take the piss. So if you're expecting any kind of charity, be gone. Luckily, we start this episode on what is a pretty rad B-plot, all right? The B-plot is multi-layered. I love all of it. And it starts with some real bad CG of uh, Voyager down on a planet surface. But part of that bad CG is some really fucking cool stuff going on. They got Voyager down. The warp nacelles are open. Their shuttlecrafts working like cranes pulling warp coils or some. I, I don't know. The shuttle bays like turned into a garage repair shop. It's fucking awesome. It is something where the technology was just a little too raw to do exactly what they wanted to do here. Right. 
the intent is cool. Like this is what it looks like when Voyager sits down on a planet so they can basically take its engine apart and give it a lube job. And they have to do that. And, you know, in this weird sort of alien Sierra Madre looking spot that they have uh, picked out because they can't get to it otherwise to be able to be out on the hull and do this work efficiently. Great idea and great idea to like show it the way they did, but it's just like just a little too standard def, a little too just kind of blocky. I'm happy to give them a hall pass on all the technicality just because the scope of what they're doing looks really cool. And <clears throat> this is uh, this is exactly what I need to see out of Voyager is that occasionally there are major maintenance cycles. This is why Voyager always looks pristine, despite the fact that every five episodes, you know, entire decks are being blown out into space and chunks of it are going missing. Uh, Torres has her way, convinces Janeway, hey, we need to do like our uh, 200,000 mile maintenance, yep. right? Rotate means, them tires. <laughs> that means taking Voyager out of commission completely. And what a scary concept, right? Because at the end of the day, Voyager's number one defensive system is the fact it can outrun most things they come across. So when you're talking about not only taking the warp drive offline, but everything there, huge sitting target, right? Um, so this is a big deal. They cut into engineering and you got Janeway crawling up towards his ass like, listen, you said this was going to take four days. And now you're giving me reports that we're looking at like eight days of downtime. And Torres is like, yeah, it was four days, but that's before I found like cracks in the hull and, you know, uh, alien flea infestations in the computer core and leftover you know, cheese bits, unauthorized <laughs> leftover- space pipes. <laughs> leftover pieces of crew members that Lon shoved in the wall. Uh, you know, I think uh, Vork may have pond fired something, uh, you know, so Kerman Jonas fell out of hell. We actually <laughs> haunting us as a specter. God, what a great plot idea. Take put, put that right into the haunting of deck 13. <laughs> we moved that throw rug that was up in the loft and found out that that was actually a space cat dragging the rug over the mess it left behind, which used to be Jonas. I like some idea that Sparky's still there. They like found him hiding in the corner. It's been there the whole time. If you mentioned only. that, you, you mentioned the, the yeah, haunting man. of deck 13. If so. only while they're discussing these repairs, the lights start flickering and Bolana's like, Hey, someone fix that. And someone does fix it. And it's each walking in very casually uh, troubleshooting. And there's an exchange about, wow, you're really good at this. And then Janeway's like, all right, you're working in engineering. Maybe you can get this thing turned around. And I forget what the interplay is exactly. But right off the bat, this first scene, they LeVar very clearly directorial, I think, uh, order here was instantly make the viewer think that you're going to turn each of into a man. Yeah, absolutely. Roxanne Dawson was told, flirt with that man. Give him the sex eye. Make it clear. Sometimes in Star Trek, you have these situations where one person's reading the other person wrong, usually involving Barkley, right? Uh, This case, there is zero doubt in my mind going like that was 110% the actor's intention here to portray that. Despite whatever the last scene may have tried to tell you, uh, 
B plot straight goldness. Not only are we going through like fixing the ship, but you got some solid Echeb scenes minus seven, which this is really the first time he's branched off and talked to the rest of the crew. And what we're going to get is kind of like this, this comedy where, uh, and I'm air quoting here, Torres just, I can't even phrase it right. Like what, what reason does a grown woman who is a senior officer have to hang out with a fucking kid? Obviously, they're going for the idea that Tom and Blana were just friendly and saw that Ichib essentially has no one in his age group to hang out with. So they're like trying to be his cool adult friends and like invite him to go do things and that it was a totally semi-parental thing. Uh, that is what the intention may have been. What it, is, what it actually implies is that the 24th century is a freaky place filled with sw- swingers who are willing to do things. And Bolana was looking to get involved with whatever Icheb is. And Tom was happy to watch. Bolana's a hot wife and Tom's a cook. That That's that's my walk away there. Bolana has such deep-seated uh, fantasies about humping a Borg named seven of nine that she refuses to admit to herself. So she is going to project those onto another Borg, Icheb and, and it's, it's, her it's her suppressed Klingon mating uh, tendencies after uh, seven of nine flipped out and bitter in that episode when she had the multiple personalities, including the Klingon captain. Mm-hmm. She's just been, she's been hot on that idea ever since. And then Icheb walks in and she says, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is one of the strangest tonal inconsistencies between what the writers wanted to do because this is supposed to be a family friendly show right this is a pg show they're not intending to make balana look like a total cougar they they're intending to make it look like a misunderstanding oh whoopsies but accidentally the direction and roxanne dawson's flirty nature just makes it seem like she was trying to get into each hip's pants the entire time and he was 100% reasonable and correct to assume that maybe we're wrong maybe this is just me projecting my own fantasy onto the table <laughs> I don't think so I enjoy it very much okay yeah and, and, and I don't think that I'm wrong here either her saying hey each you want to go rock climbing so I can get my shirt off and show you these fucking badass guns I'm working with yeah, 100%. So B-plot, great. I look forward to talking about that more. Let's switch over to Garbage World, which is the A-plot. <laughs> oh my we open God. into this with uh, Neelix's weird bowling shoes that he wears crossed over the console of the Delta Flyer. While Voyager, it, explain this one to me. Yeah, let, got... let's let's lay down the, the the contours of this away team, shall we? You have Janeway sending out shuttlecrafts to scout for Dilithium, which is pretty standard, right? Right, makes sense. Voyager itself is up on cinder blocks on something that may as well be volcano dinosaur island. All right, completely exposed with its ass hanging out, and on one shuttlecraft, you've got. Your space rat who doesn't have anything better to do. So sure, let new Jack Neelix go scrounge for Dilithium. Absolutely. You have your uh, Starfleet wonder child, Harry Kim. Someone who has literally destroyed space time to save your life. Confirmed. You've got someone who 
single-handedly kept Voyager up and running when the Herogen had the rest of the crew trapped in Worse World. All right. Yeah, if this, someone who has literally this is someone who has literally died for the ship attempting to repair it while it was under attack by the Vidians. This is a guy who got back from uh, whatever that stinky sweatbox episode was and was so hyped about going in and repairing things that he just went right into the Jeffries. Oh, that was the Vietnam episode that that happened. That is correct. This is a man who uh, won a bunch of prison fights uh, against uh, prison shank Jesus to save his best friend, Tom. I'm just saying the dude knows his way around like a hydro spanner or whatever. Right. And then you have the smartest fucking human being in the entire galaxy. And instead of these people trying to repair your ship that is falling apart at the seams, you've sent them out to go buy uh, gas and cigarettes. With your with your onboard drug dealing space rat. I mean, aren't three of the four side characters from Living Witness maybe better idea to send out? Uh, on this uh not living witness uh, a good shepherd good shepherd i was just yeah. saying like take the fucking miserable shit from the bottom of the ship or take the uh take the bajoran in the hypochondriac <laughs> the bajoran uh pity party oh, no charity case this is something commander howdy doody could be doing you know oh, after man. he got lost doing all of his push what the hell was his name i forget he was just commander howdy doody and the last time he showed up it was after he got out of the gym during twisted and then he oh. wandered off the ship but body and soul, right? That was the uh, the doctor going in Seven of Nine's body, like almost the exact same away team mission, and almost the exact same plot again, too. You know, these guys getting wrapped up in shit they got no business being a part of. I don't know why we're seeing this back to back pairing of uh, Harry Kim and Seven of Nine, but but there you got it. So, um, <clears throat> this, they're out. This- they're out trying to find the local marathon station, and. the space cat is sleeping on the console because it's warm i mean i've got cats too they sleep where they want harry's like trying to fuck with them a little bit and they happen to to (laughs) detect weapons fire because it literally starts breaking out in front of them like in front of the ship (laughs) the space fight breaks all the the area around space so this has to be intentional obviously this is the cloaked ship we will find out that what is intentionally put themselves between or put the, the Delta flyer between them and the attackers, like kind of a red flag right off the bat that, Hey, maybe these aliens are real shitty. I, real quick, since they're so heavy on shuttlecraft usage of this episode, do they ever really talk about why all of the shuttlecraft on Voyager at this point aren't Delta flyers? Clearly they can just build them out of scratch, right? Like the actual answer to that question is probably that some parts of the Delta flyer must have been cannibalized from other shuttlecraft. That's why I would imagine they can't necessarily replicate everything. Or maybe the better answer is because constructing one of these requires such intricate devices that require a lot of time and replicator rations to actually create and then program new computers and all this other stuff that it's not, it's not a good use of their time and resources to continually build them that where they really can only afford to, to, make and maintain one Uh, maybe they're only running so many high risk missions at a time so you really only need one hyper shuttlecraft and like the scrub class twos and class sixes are good enough for everything else yeah just for like your milk runs and you just want one scout ship essentially like you can come up with a number of plausible scenarios as to why they would really only i think size because 
I mean, it's got to be significantly bigger than this size. Or, yeah, I mean, it's two, two decks. You know, there's a upper station, lower station, and then and also too. I mean, sometimes out. there's just crew members that you hate and you want to die, and you can't just execute them. So you put them out in one of the type two death carts and let nature take its course. I mean, sometimes you just dangle the little the bait over the ocean. Sometimes jaws will come by. Other times it starves. Other both ways, you're you're fine. So their Delta Flyer is weapons fire uh one ship that's just popped out of nowhere like nobody noticed this thing coming in hot and it starts uh tagging another ship which had been cloaked do you want me to rant about the cloak now or later oh now is fine i a lot i i've brought it up a lot on this podcast why does voyager not have a fucking cloak you've got a borg and the borg have assimilated a lot of Romulans and seven of nine should know all this. Cause if she knew about how to make uh, rechargeable batteries for the fried chicken people, she sure as fuck knows how to make a cloak. Okay. Absolutely. hundred percent agree with you there. The Federation should know by itself. Also the technology shouldn't be unknown to them. And their hesitation to develop a cloaking device is political, not scientific. Purely treaty. I, yeah. I would have to think for you to have not only the Klingons, but the fucking Romulans, cloaked everywhere like every starfleet officer should know inside and out this is how cloaks work this is how you circumvent cloaks cloak 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 should be like your entire junior year of starfleet academy so everybody should be able to like build these things out of fucking popsicle sticks and you've got no romulan considerations the only thing and again all i would need is like one throwaway line of dialogue saying like jake captain maybe we should install a cloak uh no everybody knows people flying around in cloaks are assholes that's going to make more problems for us than it would be worth if we get discovered. End of story, right? That's all I that, need. That's thin, and that would be enough. Like, I would also buy Romulan technology needs a quantum singularity drive to work. We can't make a Romulan cloak because we have a standard warp drive, and Klingon cloaks are unreliable. You know, they rely on, you know, Romulan cadavers that they throw into a blast yeah. furnace. Now you you can either techno babble your way through that with like three lines and you're good for the whole show, or a political discussion of like, no, we have to be open. We're explorers. It's against our ethos. We have to reject mm. the idea in some way of like this is a tool that is not considered uh, appropriate and will cause us diplomatic problems as we traverse other people's space. And the point of what we're doing and why we're checking under every rock is because we want to announce our presence and meet these people. Whatever. They never give us that. No. They never give us that. They and in the end, all I can do is sit there and say, man, look at 40% of the Voyager plots that could have been completely circumvented by use of a cloak. Well, here you've got zero reason. Like they, They've got people who by the end of this owe them a pretty big fucking favor that could have been like, cool. Hey, thanks for saving the day for our planet. By the way, we're going to go ahead and um, drop box your schematics for this thing. Help yourself. No discussion about it whatsoever. No, they uh, just do the job and then get their 20 gold and a 5,000. Not XP even and that. On. All, they, they, yeah, they get some fucking experience. They don't even get dilithium out of the deal. Complete waste of fucking time and, and bad diplomacy. Anyways, so one ship knocks the other ship out of a out of cloak and then harry in the first time ever shows us that hey by the way you can use a tractor beam like a fucking lightsaber and just bat blaster bolts back into the place <laughs> where they're coming out of and blow up their weapons and scare the evil space bullies away 
Which is a hell of a move to just bust out casually on the Delta Flyer, let me fucking tell you. Yeah, where was that, like, during any of the Herogen attacks or any other big bad bully who's giving you guys a run for your money? We get uh, distress signals off the ship. Hey, please, we're a peaceful ship with medical supplies. You know, Captain, I've got two seconds to live. Tells him, no, no, okay. Well, we're going to get involved. I enjoy Seven of Nine with her skepticism through this whole thing, but it's going to be important to note right now that take your normal amount of insubordination bordering on mutiny that you get out of seven of nine towards Chakotay Janeway every fucking episode and now take I don't know one thirty fourth of that (laughs) and that's all that Harry Kim has to deal with she is the most subservient we have ever seen seven of nine she is a good soldier through the entire episode except for private discussions informing Harry Kim of how he's fucking up and how bad he is at what he's doing. It is real talk seven. And that yeah. is, other than that, she does exactly what she, he asks. But it's like, all right, now here is for my by episode, uh, by dialogue time to tell you what a fuck up you are. So if I were to sub, if I were to title this episode, generally you title our episodes, Peter. Well, right? Like, a, ding- You're going to have to do good on this one, Joe. Okay. I'm going to give you the floor. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. If I were to name this episode anything, it would be, the United Federation of Planets or Starfleet, however you want to phrase it, Starfleet. No adult reasoning required. There is no way in my mind that a bunch of adults, let alone space scientists from the 24th century adults, could possibly have made the series of decisions that led them to how this episode plays out. Starfleet is staffed with the stupidest motherfuckers in the galaxy. If Ron Glass, dopey ass with his terrible lies, can convince them that he's totally not nefarious and he's up to something. And that it deserves no investigation whatsoever. It's ramrodding. And what they're ramrodding towards us is Season 7, Episode 8, Harry's Punk Ass Adventure. <laughs> okay, that's so much better. <laughs> that's why you name that's why you name him. You know how to get to the essence. Harry's punk ass adventure. They beam over to the ship of, and I'm quoting here, space doctors that totally aren't fucking the Gestapo out of Starship Troopers, right? These are the most nefarious looking fucking war criminal mangalas I've ever seen. And uh, yes, we are introduced to Ron Glass, who you might uh, remember from uh, overrated TV shows such as Firefly. Shut the f- front door. Are you serious about that? One of the best television shows ever made. Firefly. Is that the one you're talking about? That one? Overrated. I'm sorry. Your face is overrated. Maybe. Just a touch. It's not bad, but I don't get where the nonstop glowing praise comes from. And, and whatever. Okay. <laughs> you you can like Firefly. You can say Firefly is okay. Whatever. This dude is the most two-dimensional, brittle, boring fucking character we've seen in a while. Um, minus the, how do I describe the the prosthetics on the guys? That they have like um, gill ears with 90 degree angles, right? So they're like 85% normal humans with like some 
rocking ear jaws, I guess, maybe. They, they get over there. The senior staff has all been killed during these attacks. You got some uh, Timmy Dip shit fresh out of the academy. <laughs> it's his first day on the job type of guy. Who's real chill about living through what is essentially a total party wipe. Yeah. He's just st- he's the bard standing in the back with the loot, just sobbing over the fact that his party is dead. It's dude, I'm gonna call him Millhouse. <laughs> there you go. He's like, oh gee golly wow, it's my first day on the job. I don't know shit about fuck. To the point where I'm impressed with Harry Kim. Gosh, you must be a hero. And jumping forward in the episode. Tom's like, listen, why do you have such a hard on about being on this command alone? Like, why don't you want anybody? Is is there a girl over there? Are you are you trying to bang <laughs> another 90 space hottie? No, man, there's a guy. There's a kid. He's like 18, maybe 17. He thinks I'm cool. This episode is about a lot of underage people being impressed by older. People. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot of that. Ew. Uh, the. The, Who wrote Dip- this fucking? T- what? What is this? It's Lisa Kink. No, Robert Lederman and David Long. I don't recognize these names. Timmy Dipshit, Millhouse, Millhouse, the Timmy Dipshit. I just want to point out, ends up being slicker and more deceitful than Harry Kim. Okay? Everybody, everybody does. Everyone does. Like the guy they set up to be the oh golly gee willikers. Harry Kim, you're so cool. Stand in. He ends up buffaloing Harry Kim. Harry Kim is portrayed like the biggest childish idiot in this episode. Like, is it was this intended for him to seem heroic or as anything matured? This insufferable is, not, is what he comes up. Yeah, it, he this comes is up an insufferable whiny prick that is completely incapable and stupid. This is easily the worst portrayal i think we have seen to this point of of harry kim and he's had some real real low points so i'm very impressed harry kim braining space cougars to escape their planets by making them think he was into bdsm was a more charitable version of harry kim than this it is bizarre to me that they just we're almost never able to make him work as a, as a solo lead of, a, of an episode. If not for Timeless, exactly. There isn't a single Harry Kim episode worth a shit. Not even a remote shit. I mean, I guess they're fun for us, right? Like, we can see the antics of his caveman, girl, his cavewoman girlfriend stopping Starfleet security by not letting them go through a window. You know, like, we get to have those experiences. But... I just can't believe they had an actor as bad as Garrett Wong as one of their fucking leads. How did they do this to themselves? I think at that point they're in too deep. Uh, you know, their chance to kind of be like, yeah, this guy's not working out would have been writing him off. And instead they went with Kess for mysterious reasons. So, so put this in context to me, right? Cause we're saying you're saying season seven is the season of goodbyes us taking loose threads, wrapping them up, and off they go. We shit the bed with uh, Tuvok bad touching the Maquis for our send-off Maquis plot. I know we've got something pretty impressive coming up next with Hirogen. 
where does this fit in the stack? Is this an entire episode that's really supposed to be dedicated to Harry Kim still being an ensign? Is this like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge? Is it... Yeah, it is. This is a wink, wink at Harry Kim having started the show as the new guy. And let's let's be charitable for a second. The idea of this episode isn't bad. The idea of Harry Kim started the newbie, and now here we are in the last season of the show. Let's have an episode where we reflect on how Harry Kim has grown. I mean, the, the, you can see where that idea kind of threads through for a, a second or two. Like he's obviously super technically competent. He's able to start instructing people on how to do their jobs on a starship. He's learned a lot. He has a decent scene with Janeway where he pitches like, I should have the opportunity to show that I've become a capable and mature Starfleet officer. Because if I were still back in the Alpha Quadrant, I'd have been promoted twice by now. Like there's moments where like you see the intention and it works a little bit and then it you have to rely on Garrett Wong not soiling himself and it falls apart. I'm not even going to lay this blame on on Garrett. The script's just fucking terrible. They present him as a complete show. Oh yeah, don't do him. They do him no favors with what they choose to have his character do. Whether he's a great actor or the performance that we end up getting out of him. There's nobody who could have played this role as a script portrays it. That does not come off as all the bad things we've said before. He, he's he got a, a, a mission that's supposed to last him like three days. And he brought a fucking saxophone and knickknacks for the desk for it's, a it's, guy whose body is still warm that he's replacing the, the dude. That's a straight up office joke, like the office sitcom joke of you know, someone's the manager's out of the office and, and fucking Dwight decides to move in and like put his placard there and like put his stuff in because he's in charge for three days. Right. Yeah, like there's, there's, there's degrees hanging on the wall or something. Yeah. Like that is that's an office gag. You know, like Jim is seven of nine, you know, giving him shit the entire time he's supposed to be in charge and hijinks ensue. It's so cringe and stupid. So if the showrunner's intention was to say, we're going to give Harry Kim a vanity piece to really demonstrate how he has grown and, and how much more he is now, I think the right vehicle to tell that story is something where people are stuck on the surface, command's been compromised, and now the ensign's calling the shots and lives are hanging in the balance in some sort of like a, well, what was the big movie where the plane crashes and they got to like cannibalize each other alive. alive. Yeah. Alive. Yeah. Give me an alive. Give me a run of the mill. We crashed on Hoth or, or any of those other things. We've seen the stories a dozen times, put them in a tank girl time dilation thing. Let Harry Kim get to spend six months in a pocket dimension with the, the hot doctor or whatever. I'd watch that one again. Just don't put high pitched tank girl in there and we could do it. Every step of the way in the story is ridiculous um, starting with the fact that y- you've got this crew that very clearly has a big hidden agenda, right? So they beam over to this ship, which is Medical Transport 137. They need to get home, but that first they got to do repairs. So Harry stops hunting for Dilithium, and Seven kind of questions him on the side, like, is this really the best use for our talents? Like, don't forget Voyager stuck on a fucking rock and, like, in a lot of trouble, and also where the two two of the three smartest people on the crew best suited for fixing it. Maybe we need to get back. No, no, no. We got to help these guys. 
medical supplies, medical supplies. Meanwhile, we never actually verify it's medical supplies. So that's like Neelix being the big disappointment here. I get seven to nine can't read people. I get Harry Kim's a dipshit. New Jack Neelix, who has gotten got several times in the past two seasons and has redeemed himself and shown that he's still street savvy. The fact he doesn't pick up on any of Dr. Space Mengele's like cues that, hey, shit ain't right. This isn't Dr. Space Mengele. It's fake Dr. Space Mengele. Uh, it's this is where the lack of adult reasoning goes from just Harry Kim being a dipshit to everyone involved. The fact that Janeway allows this mission to go forward, right? Like they, they get back to, to Voyager eventually. Voyager's like making their, their deal with the other dudes. I don't think we've described them. The other aliens. Cardassians with more hair. And, uh, you know, they're they're playing nice doing Chainway's doing her diplomacy thing of like, hey, you found our ship as we have it taken apart. Please don't shoot us. Which they don't. Right. I, they're actually totally cool, willing to trade. They're 100% reasonable as far as we can tell. Let me keep poking the holes in the, the, the whole pokey plot you're doing here, okay? You've got the ship of fucking liars who are yes. developing weapons technologies, cloaks, which we just spent like five minutes saying cloaks are for bad guys, right? And that's why the Federation doesn't use cloaks, because that's what bad guys use. The Klingons and the and the Romulans, those bad guys, they cloak ships. So here's yep. here's one race that lies and has cloaks. Those other got guys got you involved with their conflict. You yeah, know, like by fucking riding and like putting you in harm's way. <laughs> Someone was shooting at them, so they ran behind you, literally, right? And they go, Oh my god, no, they're talking to the other people I don't even care about the name of. The lizard people, no, those guys are bad. They're they're so bad. What they're offering to like trade with you and give you the dilithium and stuff you need, that, that's just the first step of them enslaving you. And they're all like, oh my God, really? Oh, we better help both sides. We better imperil our diplomatic position while we're at our absolute weakest and most exposed for a bunch of fucking jabronis and this guy who's clearly not lying to us. Like that that's what blows my mind. It's like Janeway allowing this mission on this pretense with Ron glasses, completely suspicious ass. Like Stilted. I, I think he's great on, on uh, firefly. I think that show is a baller. Uh, that is because it is a space Western, which are my two favorite things in the whole world. So it is like a show made specifically for me personally. That is why I will always love it. And he plays the preacher on that. And he does a fine job. Like as an actor there, he was on Barney Frank, you know, a million years ago, which I saw reruns of. He's fine on that too. I don't know what it is about this role where he just decided to read the script as if it were the fucking phone book, but it's so bad. He acts in this like someone's got a gun to his kid's head. Like that's the amount of enthusiasm and enjoyment he takes out of this role is like someone got him on a contractual obligation, maybe not a a gun on his kid's head. He really was looking forward to getting this in ground pool. And because of some sort of, uh, Someone involved in Voyagers on city council, and they're like, I'm going to block you from being able to install this pool unless you appear on this show. And he's like, fine, I'll do the fucking show. All right. But that's all you're getting. You're getting the bare minimum. The bare minimum. of If I don't get this pool, my wife is going to fucking, I'm not going to hear the end of it. So fine. Give me your stupid coat. Put the shit on my jaw and we'll do this. You want me to act like a doctor? Tough. I'm going to act, act like a weapons designer. I'm, I'm going to fucking act like the guy who pushes the buttons in the elevator for you. 
can we go back to the B plot? The fun plot? Yeah, I'd love yeah, to. Can we take a break? Yeah. <laughs> so the, the B plot continues with Icheb trying to figure out if the person who is clearly flirting with him is actually flirting with him. Because he starts fixing stuff. Balana comes to the the cargo bay where he's She's like, hey, what are you eating? And I'm like, damn, Icheb's over here working in the cargo bay next to where Joe Carey used to smoke joints. And he's eating <laughs> a funnel cake. What a fun, I, what a fun use of the replicator. I want to eat a funnel cake. Or a plate of nachos. Couldn't tell from the distance. They it looks had delicious. Yeah, it looks fine. But Balana's but, like, ew, that looks gross. Hey. Why don't you come out with me and eat dinner, little boy? He like comes in, like kind of like, hey, what's going on? Being all friendly. Why don't we go grab dinner? What do you say? Oh, you know, you, you kind of brush it off. Oh, how about we go? Like you said, let's go rock climbing so I can get my guns out. And, you know, what do you do, do for some fun? Push-ups in front of you. What do you do for fun? I don't do fun. And I'm like, wasn't there a whole episode? that was seven of nines in charge where all the board children want to have fun. And she's like, no, no fun. Well, he's got to read older now. He's, he's being flirted with by Roxanne. <laughs> like can't, can't read young now. Got to read older. Hey, I really dig that uh, camo hip hop two piece you're wearing there. <laughs> nice drug run, dude. <laughs> Ugliest civilian clothes. It just drags us right back into season one of bad civilian clothes. We've seen good civilian clothes. And so do they ever address his Starfleet Academy application? I f- don't remember. I think there might be an episode where that comes up. I'm trying to remember because there's an episode that has a lot of contact back with with mm. home, but I don't know if they bring that up exactly. I'll have to well when we get that episode. I'm just saying I'll, if I was myself. the person who was in charge of costumes and it was between putting him in this burgundy camo trash or sweet ass cadet uniform yeah put him in the sweet ass cadet uniform with those cargo pants just think of all the fun stuff he could he could have put some of those that funnel cake some of those nachos in those pockets each the next day goes to the doctor to repair one of his hollow emitters and he starts asking questions and he basically is trying to get information from the doctor of like, how do you know if someone is flirting with you? Well, even because you know why? That... Because each hip knows he's being flirted with. Yeah. I, that whole scene is cool with the doctor beginning with the doctor. Like, yeah, when I go in that corner over there, my legs disappear. <laughs> That's how computer technology works, right? Yeah. That is, that is turn it real off and turn it back on again is how he fixed it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, please tell me he's going to walk over there and it's going to look real cheesy and his legs are going to disappear. And and goddamn LeVar for not giving me that scene. But then he goes, hey, listen, seven and nine told me that you gave her personality lessons, which is a really cool throwback. We haven't talked about any of that stuff in a while. And he's like, oh, yeah, I would love to help you, too. Lesson one, he's like, "Uh, uh-uh, let's skip to the part where uh, do I fuck? Chapter 13, D2F. And he goes, you know, like, how can I know? And then the doctor lists all of the flirting behaviors. And then he's like, okay, well, that could be misinterpreted as just friendly invitations for socializing. How do I know it's flirting? And you're like, well, you don't. That's what's weird about men and women. But, you know, physiological responses increase this, increase that. You know, these are other indicators. He goes, okay, cool. Something I can measure. That's what I need. <laughs> Thanks. 
and then leaves because he turned it off and turned it back on again. Mm-hmm. He even did, did like the all right, it's fixed. And so the next scene of the B plot is the two of them working together in the Jeffrey's tube, all sweaty and close by. And Bellana continues to just lay it on super thick with them. Just being really f- kind of like flirty Touching forward. Hands. Hey, it's okay. That happens in the business. It's what the Jeffrey tubes are for, snuggling. It's I again, I know the intention was to portray Ichev as just being like a clueless dude, a clueless neckbeard who doesn't understand when women are actually flirting with him. But it only makes sense if you actually have him not be flirted with. You know, like, I know this is 2021 and these things are so much more difficult to talk about as a consequence, but there is no other way to read these scenes. No other way. To the point where in the Jeffries tube, Belana stands up to do something like puts her butt right in each face. He scans her and like all of the uh, biometrics or whatever read as like the telltale signs that the doctor is like, these are the quantifiable traits of someone who is um attracted or whatever right and uh each up's kind of like okay uh that that confirms that and then uh where do they pick up on the b plot again with him walking through the hallways in paris coming up on him yeah so they have the flirty scene and the jeffrey's tube and Torres is like i can't wait to go climbing with you each up hmm. and the next time they address it, it's each have walking down the hallway. And then Tom Paris is like, Hey, I hope I heard you've been talking to my wife lately. And, uh, each have seemed super guilty about it. It's like, I heard you go rock climbing. He's like, it was her idea. And she's like, nah, it's cool. Let's race. Let's race my race cars. Hey, cool. Thanks for getting my wife off my back on wanting to hang out. I would rather hang out with anybody on the ship other than my super awesome hot rod girlfriend. I'm sorry. Oh, hot rod that was wife. the other. That was the other signal that was sent during that fucking uh, Jeffrey's tube scene. Is that she's like, oh, I see enough of my husband, and kind of like shit talks him, and like, oh, he's never interested in doing my what I ever want to do. All established, right? Established canon. Of oh, I came to this realization that we are uh, Makta. That means bad match and Klingon, by the way, and that uh, we really got no business being together, and we should separate. But you know, I did what everybody does, and we just got married instead. I hate him, and basically anytime anybody gives me any sort of attention, it makes me happy, and the more I'm away from him, the better. Uh, <laughs> Can I go climbing on you? I mean, with you. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> like, that... Oh, God. No. Nah, uh. Anyway, so then they have the scene All with... the frustration. I'm loving this, by the way. I'm, I'm loving these scenes with her. I'm like, she definitely... By the end, when she's like, no, you're misreading the situation. Ah, uh, you silly boy. I'm just... <laughs> I'm just as confused as he is. Like when she confronts him with him, like, <laughs> did nope. Did nobody tell Roxanne Dawson until like the final scene? Like, by the way, you don't want to hump him. Yeah, but did, they didn't tell her she was overplaying it. Like they just filmed it. Like, oh no, yeah, you struck the balance of just being friendly. This will totally come off the way they wanted. Meanwhile, Lavar is in the back, looking at his dailies. Like, <laughs> 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 I got her. <laughs> like. 
like it's all like a prank to make it look like a sex predator. Yeah, see, Jordy was real inept with women, so I'm gonna make each Sheb look inept with women, but I'm gonna mess it. I don't know what I'm doing, but it's gonna be good. Here's how you fix this. And you can't fix it without spoiling the the end surprise of the B plot, which is Bellana doesn't wanna hump him after all, but like there should have been the big kids table in the mess hall which we've seen a few times, like jump back over to the Good Shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. You had Bellana and Neelix and Paris talking about that little crusty butthole down in the bottom of the ship that was real insufferable. Paris is just like, no, someone just needs to go bro him up. He's not a bad guy. And then he goes over and the dude's like, you suck at math. And he's like, yeah, well, fuck you too, right? Yeah. So we've got this precedent of like the cool kids talking about other people and trying to like uplift them. There needed to be a scene where Torres and Paris are sitting there looking at each other like, God, what a miserable existence. All this kid does is work. We got to bust him out of his shell. Now that seven of nines off on this away mission. Hey, this is a great time to fun, like uh, fun. Uncle Tom and aunt Bellana can come through and be like, Hey kid, you want to rock climb rocks and drive race cars? Let's do some fun shit. You want to go play with knives and firecrack? Like, and yeah. if there's two people in the ship, that would be pretty fucking rad to hang out with those two. Definitely. That what they intended to do was clear, a hundred percent. Like I see what they intended that to be, but they missed either the critical conversation to set the context, or forgot to tell Roxanne Dawson not to fucking flirt. <laughs> One or the other doesn't matter. It they they missed that, so it just looks like she was actually trying to hump him the yeah, entire it's, time. And, and again, you, you pile in the Tom Paris scene, and it's these guys are definitely swingers oh yeah uh, tom Nasty wants 24th century sex pests man both of them yeah polyamorous moving through the b plot to the very end then you finally get Echeb and he's like hey listen we can't let this keep going on i think that you have an attraction to me and i cannot reciprocate and i don't feel comfortable uh with uh your husband challenging me on this so we need to separate and then, yeah, Balana's like, what do you mean, you silly boy? No, you're misreading things. Oh, child. OK, you're right. We can't be together. Oh, how you've misread things. You're so silly. And like you as the audience is like, the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Let's speed through what actually happens in the A plot. I think that uh, Seven of Nine and Neelix during the first part of this mission have to know goddamn well that there is something going on and they have just chosen to keep their mouth shut so Harry Kim's going to end up looking like a fucking asshole. Like they secretly hate him. They they want to make yeah. him look bad. Okay, Seven of Nine has a high um, self-preservation drive uh, and she realizes at a certain point that her life is safe and whereas normally she will get up in uh, the captain's face and say, what you're doing is stupid and endangering the crew and I'm going to call you out on your bullshit. Here she sees, all right, uh, Harry Kim's going to do some real dumb shit. It does not threaten my life and it's just going to make him look like an asshole and make his life worse. So for the first time ever, I'm going to be completely submissive and just shut the fuck up and give this guy like six light years of rope to hang himself with. Harry winds up in command of the ship to send them back home because all of their officers are dead and they're portrayed as being clueless and operating the ship like they don't even know how to, like, steer it. How do you make a cloaking device and not know anything about how a ship actually works? Which is ends up kind of being the implication, though, was that this was all a work. 
this was a fake. They could have done it. They chose to involve Voyager because it gave him additional cover, additional resources to use. The Where? fact that he was, you know, good at ship operations was helpful to them. You know, like, okay, so, yeah, they might know how to get home, but this fucking wonder kid knows how to, like, you know, destroy people's weapons with a goddamn burst of his tractor beam. Let's bring him along. Let's fucking lie so we can take the fucking genius. Yeah, we're great at... We're not great at... We're terrible at lying, but they're even worse at detecting it, so... Yeah, we're not great at lying, but we're even worse at reading when someone sucks, and we haven't figured out that Harry Kim is going to completely write us off and because of us holding up the 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 jig about this life. so they're flying okay okay so they they get to voyager they're like hey we want to go all the way home can you take us home and then here's like let me go ask my mom hey captain janeway um here's these dudes with like the evil guy cloak and look he's wearing bad guy clothing his other doctor friend uh very clearly looks like she's uh a spy or gestapo or something very clearly evil Okay, see how tight her hair is pulled up in this Leah Brahms bun? Yeah, she's totally... Anyways, so they said that your friends who wanted to trade, they're space Nazis and they're going to enslave you because you want to do space commerce with them. And uh, we need to help them get home to deliver their medical supplies. And Janeway just looks at them and then she takes out her what mood is Janeway today and she flicks the spinner. Okay, on the spinner... If you imagine it's like a pie chart, right? The the section of the pie that looks like Pac-Man, which is like 85% of it, is the fucking idiot section. And she goes, we're going to do this. I'm going to put Chakotay or Tuvok or someone else who's completely inconsequential to repairing the ship's system. And he's like, no, I want this command. I would be a commander by now. It'd be on the USS Jabroni. Like, okay. You could be Fine. on the Cerritos, which, by the way, I'll point out uh, Lower Deck Season 2 starts this week. We didn't talk about the beginning, but I'm excited. I watch it when it's done. Like when it, when, when it's finished, I'll, I'll binge, binge it. Fair enough. But yeah, I should be on. I don't Again, I mean, he was supposed to be a, a, a hot shot, right? <laughs> so I buy that he could be lieutenant commander on something other than a flagship. And then Jane was, oh, that's awfully presumptuous of you, which hold the phone. How many times has this guy, you know, whatever kind of dipshit he is, how many times has he saved the fucking ship for you? So check it, Janeway, right? And ultimately, she's like, you know what? Fine. I expect you back before we're ready to leave. I'm going to authorize a Starfleet person to get directly involved in this intergalactic war to escort your, I'm air quoting here, doctor friends to bring their medical supplies back to their home planet how do i put this i guess all of their scanners are broke like (laughs) do you have medical supplies aboard no yeah so many of them okay what kind of doctor are you i'm a doctor of birds mostly bird doctoring (laughs) (laughs) i I, it's it's just um where's tuvok in this is he in this episode at all no i don't think so I, I mean, he's him. never great at security, but I feel like there, there should have been anybody to spot the fact like, hey, by the way, Captain, they don't have a single fucking bottle of aspirin on that whole thing. So let's let's rethink this. Let me also call you out on uh, on some violations here. She sends him over. She says, OK, I'm going to approve this mission, but you need someone to back you up. And instead of anybody else in the crew, I'm going to continue putting the smartest person in the universe on the ship with you. Have fun. I'm going to send you the fucking babysitter. That's what she does. 
Like, I don't a trust mean, you to do this. bitchy babysitter. Tall, blonde, imperious babysitter. Who is happy to watch you fail and mock you while it happens. You can ask Chakotay. Super good at it. It's like her best talent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after fixing things. So he goes, he's like, I'm the captain. I'm going sh- to give commands. Engage! He says the line. Like, he goes through all of the, the pantomining of the captain things. But it's supposed, the script is trying to show, oh, he's a micromanager. He won't let people think, do things on their own. He won't take their advice. None of his actions are like super like unreasonable, but they're all kind of whiny and and just like your standard bad at middle management type of thing. For continuity's sake, I'd like to point out that when he was running the night shifts, uh, he was real insufferable on that too, demanding nonstop updates from Khan. And like the the lady down Khan like would roll her eyes like, same status we were 10 minutes ago. So this is on brand for him. He has not learned anything. Yeah, he, he has uh, not learned that management 101 principle of just letting your subordinates do their their jobs and letting them know their job is to to come to you if there's a problem that they can't solve on their own <laughs> like basic management like your job is yours to do do it however it is that you need to do it and then if there's an issue that you cannot solve that's where i get involved <laughs> or like i need to give you direction that's where i get involved he doesn't know that yet anyway they're going through this process, and then eventually even Harry Kim figures out that Ron Glass is lying, and he's not a doctor, because they get attacked, and Seven of Nine is hurt, the uh, super severe Gestapo lady is killed, and he seems to know a lot about cloaking devices throughout the whole ship, you know, throughout the whole journey, and eventually, like, Harry Kim gotches him in the goofiest fucking scene, like, hey, why don't you scan her? Maybe she needs a cortical stimulant. Ron Glass is like, yes, that is all true. He's like, you're not a doctor! Like, yes, I just want him to drop character and be like, yes, obviously. I've not been a good doctor the whole time. I can't believe we've gotten five days into this deception. And only now have you decided to bring up that I am clearly not a doctor. I just said that in a panic. I didn't know what else to say. I just came in, you materialized, like, I'm a doctor. and Which I am, I'm a PhD. But, you know, you assumed I'm a medical doctor, and I just let you think that for five days. And now Classic here you are, player. finally asking and pointing out. That I'm what do you think? What do you think the diagnosis is here? What, what do you what are you doing right now? Are are you trying to disprove I'm a doctor? Wait, did you still think I was a doctor? <laughs> After we were standing in front of the cloaking device and I was like giving you like board level analysis of how to fix the systems on this thing. You, God, you really still thought I was a doctor? Here I was thinking to myself, I completely dropped the act right then and there. But uh, You did notice I, I switched into my lab coat that says um, cloaking device development industries, right? <laughs> and he wants to like turn, take his ball and go home. And so the rest of the crew is like, no, weird human man. We're just going to continue to pilot the ship. Go away. They, like, they never don't, like, really him, needed you. They, never, they don't put him in prison. They just are like, they just ignore him. They just are like, no, you've served your purpose. We've learned enough. We can get home. Go get in a shuttle pod, I guess. We don't care. (laughs) We don't have a holodeck. We just have a hole in the wall. If you want to go stick your dick in that till we get to our planet. I'm also confused. The, the, The stupid fucking plan that Janeway greenlit. I want to help these guys get home to their planet. 
okay, we'll be back here. But, but, but I'm taking to their planet. So they're supposed to go to the planet and then turn around and drive right back out, which I guess makes sense. Cause if they believe that they're delivering medical supplies, why wouldn't they be able to zip back out? Okay. Fair enough. That one's not too much of a hole. The plot is supposed to reach what it stands as its climax. When seven of nine says you were shit at being a captain the entire time. And now you want to give up. And like tries to give him like an inspirational speech of like these people need you and you're quitting on them. Like they're the bad guys. It's like we've clearly established that maybe helping them is actually objectively incorrect. Did you see when the subordinate uh, sacrificed her life and there was zero attention paid to it whatsoever until I actually asked about it? And Ron Glass just wrote it off like it was a Bic pen running out of ink. No big deal. These guys seem like they're the ones with the skulls on their hats. These are the baddies. We should probably leave. We've probably fucked up enough by helping these space Nazis get their hands on a super weapon. Yeah. They call out out the Klingassians in this one specifically, or the the Vaudois, right? Yeah, the Vaudois. It's like the only time they're ever mentioned ever again. So that that reference. So like, yeah, we've got a bad habit of getting involved the wrong side. Maybe we need to dip. And then Seven is like, no, let's ride this thing out all the way. And then Harry's like, yeah, let's just really go and completely run any potential for relations uh, into the ground. The other alien guys, they're like dropping depth charges. Oh, I'm sorry. So the bad guys they've allied themselves with, they have a Imperial Endor shield being projected around their planet, much like the Death Star, that is impenetrable. So there's a blockade holding people out. That's why this cloaking device is so important. So they can start trying to like blockade room. And these guys know that there's a cloaking device in play. They're dropping these depth charges that's supposed to like knock the ship out. And Harry Kim comes up with this goofy gambit where he is going to reveal their location and promise to give the ship over. But it's a last minute renege on the deal and get the ship safely into the surface. The story ends on the stupidest closing scene ever, which is a callback to a a scene in the mess hall when Neelix was giving bad advice to Harry Kim that captains don't ever appear indecisive and he should order his lunch like he knows exactly what he wants. And he comes back in and is super indecisive and Neelix is like, yo, you won't be a captain like that. And he's like, I'm not a captain but I will be someday. And then it's like freeze frame. Dun, 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 dun. Like that's the, like the sitcom beat that they wanted to end on. Meanwhile, this episode required over. actual like reflection at the end. It just did not occur. Flip over to what we actually saw, which was uh, Ron glass lying about everything. Them saying, Oh yeah, these guys are evil and they're going to enslave you and trading them dilithium and fucking, uh, stevia packets or whatever they were going for artificial sweetener you know they're gonna they're gonna enslave you the the quote-unquote bad guys in this find out that voyager has been lying the entire time and aiding these uh rebels in in smuggling in forbidden technology and they go hey listen what you're doing's not cool so the deal's off we're not going to trade with you we know that you're completely fucking helpless on the surface. And instead of just pounding you into oblivion or enslaving you and taking your sweet technology or whatever, uh, just get your ship up off the ground, clean your shit up and get out of here. And they go, yeah, but we don't have your... war. But yeah. they go, OK, fine. We'll just escort you out at like 
impulse, whatever. Yeah, pick and up then the they, campsite and get out. That's how evil they are. Like, are you kidding they, me? They take him to the edge of space, and then Voyager flies, so they go, okay, goodbye, and then they fly back in their space. And Janeway and Sutter's being like, huh, we look like real assholes right now. We were helping the bad guys. She's like, we're going back in. And they're like, no, actually, Harry Kim's been here the whole time, hiding by us. Between us and the bad guy again, he picked up some bad habits. And they're like, oh, great, Harry, it's good to see you again. And I'm like, okay, cool, you're getting a cloaking device out of all this bullshit, right? Like, this is why you just... Nope. Helped no, just a, nope. Mm-mm. Just a crappy scene in, in the mess hall. No reflection on what happened. No clarification on who the bad guys was, although I guess it was clear enough. Yeah, <laughs> very yeah, much just, was. This is, like, like I said, I don't think this is the worst episode of Voyager because the B-plot was unintentionally so funny. And the the and the repairs were cool the the repair idea was neat the overall idea of harry kim's character development was Warranted. conceptually correct yeah it just has this 20 minutes in it that is the worst writing and the worst acting insufferable com- combined in a way that is not delivered well makes no fucking sense and makes your main character for the episode f- appear just whiny insufferable and completely incompetent and instead of any reflection on that you get the the idea of like oh this is just he just got a little bit flummoxed in his first command but this guy this kid's got potential rather than a million red flags if he should never be in charge of things because he cannot perceive basic deceptions that's that's what we needed we needed a ready room scene with Janeway sitting there looking out the window and Chakotay reading a report and saying, are you fucking serious? Wow. I always wondered why this guy was still an ensign, Kathy, but now I see like <laughs> he's, a wor- is- he's a worker, but he is not leadership material. Like this is terrible. I don't know what this episode needed a million fucking things. I can't even begin to fix it. It's just what it needed to be just thrown in the trash. Again, yeah. something that should not have been in this this is a season six episode this is sucks what are we watching next week peter jumping out of this we are going into season seven episode no so this is what episode nine and ten then we're going into yeah so this is a two-parter we will have to discuss between ourselves if we want to do it in one or split it up i'd say we split it up it's gonna be flesh and blood and we got uh chakotay seven and tuvok Stand in the jungle, the Herogen species sends Voyager a distress call when their holographic prey become too cunning and cannot be defeated. Speaking of holographic wars that I wanted to see, is that why we didn't go here in uh, in uh, Body and Souls? Because instead of hearing about the Belarusians' bitter war with holograms, we're going to have the fucking Herogen getting gutted by T-1000s made out of photons? This episode's really good. A um, lot of deep Trek ideas uh, get up, hit up all in this uh, AI hologram. It's going to be a rich vein for us to mine and go very. You have like, been hinting up. about this episode for a long time, for over a year at this point. Yeah, um, I've really been looking forward to this. Uh, there is a lot of meat on the bone as far as the Herogen backstory goes. And I think they 
they did a nice job fleshing it out in the Nazi episode. Like the second part, was that a two parter? No, that was a it one parter. It was two. The Nazis were two. The second part where you've got like the commander who gets it and Jane was able to like broach peace with him and says, hey, you, you got you have to be responsible for the species and like pulling your people out of this downward spiral. Like there's a lot of cool history with the Herogen. And I think their intersection with social media <laughs> with VR is good. I'm real. I'm real pumped about that, especially after this fucking turd. Awesome. Thanks to every. Thanks to everybody that. It, this episode's taken away my will. <laughs> thanks to everybody for listening, subscribing, reviewing, sharing. Vija, please. And if you're one of our Patreon subscribers, hopefully by the time you hear this one, I'll actually have the Patreon exclusive BSG review finished. It is a beast. 45 minutes into editing it. And I'm not halfway. Like, we went real far uh, into our thoughts on that. So I hope you really want to hear us talk about an entirely different show uh, for a long time. But if you are, that's your sort of thing. Chip in a couple bucks. It's all yours. And we'll see you next week. 